Welcome everyone to episode 7 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and I just have a few announcements before the stories today. Our Facebook group is still growing, almost 400 people. If this is your first episode, come check us out on Facebook, and I also launched my Patreon last week. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider joining and helping to make it better. All money received will go back into the podcast to help make it better. As always, links to all will be in the episode description. Now with all that said, let's get into the stories. So sit back, lock those doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. first story I have for you is about a man named James Rupert. On March 30th, 1975, James shot and killed 11 members of his family at his mother's house on what's being called the Easter Sunday Massacre. There's not much info on his early life, other than it was troubled. He was the youngest of him and his brother Leonard Jr. His mother would constantly tell him that she wished that she had a daughter as the second child instead of having two sons. His father, Leonard Sr., had a violent temper and showed little to no affection to his two sons. He died in 1947 when Leonard Jr. and James were 14 and 12 years old. From that point, Leonard Jr. would take on the role as the father figure of the family, but he was relentlessly cruel to his younger brother. He would constantly pick on him and tease him for being a weakling. When James was 16, he was so unhappy at home that he ran away from home and attempted to commit suicide by hanging himself with a bedsheet, but he was unsuccessful. As an adult, James was described as a bookish man standing at just 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighing 135 pounds. People said that he was helpful, unremarkable, and quiet. He also had no police record. By 1975, James was jealous of his older brother Leonard. He had a successful career after graduating with a college degree in electrical engineering. He married James's ex-girlfriend, had eight children, and they had a nice home in Fairfield, Ohio. James, on the other hand, had dropped out of college. He had never been married and lived at home with his mother. 
His mother, Charity, was becoming more and more frustrated with her youngest son. He wasn't able to hold a steady job, he was constantly drinking, and she had threatened to evict him from her home on more than one occasion. James also owed both his mother and brother money due to him losing most of his own from the 1973 stock market crash. About a month before the tragedy, James would inquire about silencers for his weapons while purchasing ammo. Reports say that his behavior would become increasingly more strange as he neared his breaking point while battling a deep depression. On March 29, 1975, a day before the shooting, Witnesses saw him target shooting at some empty tin cans with his 357 Magnum along the banks of the Miami River in Hamilton, Ohio. The night before the murders, he went out as he always did, to the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge where he would chat with an employee there, 28-year-old Wanda Bishop. She would later tell the police of her conversation with James. She said that he was growing more and more frustrated with his mother's demands on him and his impending eviction, and that he needed to, quote, solve the problem, from what Bishop told the police. She said that James told her that his mother would say that if he can afford to buy beer seven nights a week, he can afford to pay rent. He then left the bar at 11 p.m., but he later returned. Bishop asked him if he had solved his problems, and he replied, No, not yet. He then stayed at the bar drinking until they closed at 2.30 a.m. The next day, on Easter Sunday, James's brother Leonard and his wife Alma came over to their mother's house with their eight children, ranging in ages from 4 to 17 years old. James stayed upstairs sleeping off his night of drinking while the rest of the family had an Easter egg hunt in the front yard. At 4 p.m., James awoke and loaded a 357 Magnum, two 22 caliber handguns, and a rifle. His mother was preparing lunch in the kitchen with her oldest son and his wife. Most of the kids were playing in the living room. James would then calmly walk down the stairs and go into the kitchen. As soon as he entered the kitchen, he shot his brother in the head, killing him instantly. He then turned the gun to his sister-in-law and shot her in the chest. His mother would lunge at him, only to be shot in the head and chest. He then pulled the trigger three more times, killing his 11-year-old nephew David and two nieces, 9-year-old Teresa and 13-year-old Carol. James then walked into the living room and one by one he shot and killed the rest of his nieces and nephews. 12-year-old Anne, 17-year-old Leonard III, 16-year-old Michael, 15-year-old Thomas, and 4-year-old John. All the kids had been shot in the head and then shot again to make sure they were dead. The only sign of a struggle was an overturned garbage can. The massacre was over in just under five minutes, and after spending another three hours in the house, James would call the police and say, there's been a shooting. 
He would then wait just inside the front door for the police to arrive. The murders would shock the town of Hamilton and the entire country. People who knew him would say that they had no idea that he could do something so horrible and violent, and that he had that kind of anger in him. His neighbors considered the Ruperts to be a nice, quiet family. James was arrested and charged that day with 11 counts of aggravated homicide. He refused to answer any questions that the police had and made it very clear that he would plead insanity. County Prosecutor John Holocomb viewed the crime scene and would say that there was so much blood on the first floor that it was dripping through the floorboards into the basement, which can still be seen to this day in the wood. James had fired a total of 35 rounds and all four weapons were recovered from the house. A year after the shooting, the house was open to the public and everything was auctioned off. The house was then cleaned and had the carpets replaced and rented to a family that was new to the area. They had no idea of the murders that took place there and later they left the house claiming that they kept hearing voices and other sounds that they couldn't explain. Over the years other families has moved in and out of the house and it's currently occupied. James was tried several times for these murders. The first trial was held in Hamilton, and the three-judge panel found him guilty on all 11 counts of murder and sentenced him to life in prison. A mistrial was declared, and it was decided that his new trial would be held 125 miles away in Finley, Ohio, because it was believed that he would not receive a fair trial in Hamilton. His second trial began in June of 1975, and the prosecutors revealed evidence that he had been target shooting the day before, looking to purchase silencers for his weapons, and made statements about how he would soon, quote, fix his problem. In July of 1975, he would receive 11 life sentences. His lawyers would appeal and he would be granted a third trial in 1982. His attorney was convinced that he was insane and he personally funded the hiring of experts to prove his case. On July 23, 1982, another three-judge panel found him guilty on two counts of murder for his mother and brother and not guilty by reason of insanity for the other nine counts of murder. He was sentenced to two life sentences to be served consecutively. In June of 1995, at the age of 61, James was granted a hearing in front of the state parole board, but his request was denied. As of October 2021, he's still incarcerated at the Franklin Medical Center, a department of the Ohio Department of Corrections. His next parole hearing is set for February 2025. He'll be 90 years old. I can't even begin to understand how someone could do that to anyone, let alone their own family.
to this day, this is still the largest mass murder inside of a private residence in U.S. history. And I personally hope that that's never beat. Our next story comes from the website yourghoststories.com. It's a story about a haunted house, shadow people, and sleep paralysis somewhere in Ohio. I'll be reading from their perspective. My parents got a divorce when I was going into fourth grade. So me, my mom, and two sisters all move into a different house and change schools. In middle school, I slept over at a friend's house who said her house was haunted by two young kids and an older man. Her family did research on the history of the house. I remember feeling very on edge when I was there. I thought it was just my mind overreacting. Ever since then, when I came back to my house, I felt the same sense of being watched. At first, the only thing that I experienced was hearing footsteps. I thought I was going crazy. But then I saw a hairbrush float in the air and then drop to my bedroom floor. Then a cup on my desk moved while I was sitting there. There were certain things that didn't scare me. Other times, I would be overwhelmed with a sense of fear and I couldn't breathe. It happened mostly in my bathroom, but I could sense it randomly all over the house. I couldn't talk to anyone about this because I wasn't that close with my family and everyone was going through a pretty hard time. I used to hear mumbled voices at night. I made myself think that it was my sisters late at night being annoying, talking to each other from their own room across the hall. It doesn't even make sense as to why they would do that, but I vividly remember a few nights where I would yell their names and tell them to be quiet. My mom got cancer when I was in seventh grade. She's okay now, thank God, but I was scared every night. I've heard three knocks on my bedroom door while I was showering, and when I got out to see who was there, I saw my family was all watching TV downstairs. I even came downstairs in a towel just to ask who knocked. When I lived in that house, I grew a very, very intense fear of the noise the water in the bathtub made when I turned it on. I can't even describe it. It was like the noise was a trigger of the fear. One of the scariest feelings I ever felt was when I was about to fall asleep one night. I started to smell a bonfire. I looked outside, but there were no fires. It was way too strong for it to come from outside anyway, especially with my windows being shut. The fear that came over my entire body while I was smelling it was awful. I hid under my covers sweating until I finally fell asleep. There was one time I went into the laundry room and my eyes were looking down as I stepped into the room and I saw shadowy feet about two feet in front of me and I looked up and saw the very tall shadowy figure of a male and I ran. No details on the figure, just a shadow that wasn't on the wall. I don't even remember what I did after I saw that. My insomnia started back then, and I'm still very scared of the dark. 
I have an overwhelming fear of it, and I am currently 19. These are just the main events that stick out. I've had a few friends that have had some experiences in the old house as well. Within the last month, I started dating a guy who's the most amazing, spiritual, respectful person that I've ever met. He knows that I live in a haunted house and that I don't like talking about it because I still get so scared thinking about it. He never asks any questions. Two nights ago, I went to his house to sleep over. I was already stressed out just from day-to-day life, but I didn't talk about how I felt. We both fell asleep pretty early, around 11 p.m. That night, I had a dream that my family and friends were all staying at a beach house. In the dream, I knew I wasn't myself. It felt really odd. I was just someone's perspective going through a hallway and turned right into a bedroom and saw one of my sisters on her bed looking down at her phone. She didn't look up as if she didn't know that anyone was there. That was the end of the dream and then I wake up in sleep paralysis. I told my sister all about this and she doesn't think that any of it is real. I know that I am in sleep paralysis because I've experienced this once before when I was four years old. And then later on in life, I realized what happened because I saw something online and I researched about it and heard of these shadow people that can manifest while in sleep paralysis. Anyway, I wake up while in sleep paralysis, but I'm not in my boyfriend's bedroom. I'm in the beach house bedroom where me and my boyfriend are sleeping. I can physically feel his leg still under mine, but I can't move to see him though. My eyes are faced towards a lit up door and a shadow figure quickly comes in. At first it is the size of the door, but it comes into the room, it rises to the height of the ceiling. At the same time it rises. I can hear an intense, loud white noise in my ear and a very high-pitched ringing sound. The same time the shadow grew and the sound started, my eyesight also started glitching. It was as if a computer program was messing up and glitching out. But this was in my head. The noise was coming from inside my head, in my ears. I shut my eyes and I know what is going on because I have read about it. I am still panicking and start trying to flail my body around to wake up my boyfriend and he will know that I am having a nightmare. Right as I think that I am about to wake him up, I suddenly hear the sink running in the bathroom and I think to myself, he's in the bathroom, he's not going to be able to help me. Just as that thought ended, I woke up from the sleep paralysis next to my boyfriend, still asleep with my leg under his. I still hear a loud sound in my ear, as if I was just next to a helicopter or something. I woke him up because I was so scared. I told him I just had the worst sleep paralysis, and right before I even told him what happened, he said, What? I think I had sleep paralysis. I asked what he meant, but he quickly shrugged it off and said, 
never mind. About 20 minutes later, I finally calmed down a little bit and I realized that I am naked. I woke up with my clothes off. Even my boyfriend said that he remembers me having clothes on before going to bed. I've woken up naked before when I know that I had clothes on when I fell asleep. I never thought anything of it until now, and I'm still not sure what to think about it. I was very shook up the entire rest of the day. I even screamed when a loud truck drove past my car. My boyfriend could see how much this hurt me and made an appointment that day for me to go to a crystal healer. On our way there, he told me that last night at 4 a.m., about two hours before I woke up with the sleep paralysis, he woke up and noticed that he had peed his pants. He was so embarrassed to tell me. I think he is scared. I can see it in his eyes sometimes that he believes me, but he also doesn't want to think that it's real. I don't know how much he believes me. This is hurting our relationship. I told my mom and she knows that I wouldn't make any of this up. I feel a little better after meeting with the lady at the apothecary, but I'm still on edge. I have seen two white orbs before, so I know there was something always protecting me. One when I was four, and another within the last six months. That was a pretty intense story. My first thought when I hear the smell of something burning is that she somehow has a demon attached to her. I'm not sure who wrote the story as I found it online, but I hope she was able to find help and finally solve her problem. This is definitely a creepy, super scary experience. Well, that's all the stories that I have for you guys today. I hope that you enjoyed them just as much as I did. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review. A five-star review goes a long way to help other people find this podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news, which I do have one more announcement. I will be taking next week off for Thanksgiving, but we'll be back on December 3rd with a brand new episode. Also, I received my first supporter on Patreon, so I want to thank Professor Jacket for joining, and I hope you enjoy your copy of the Halloween episode script that I mailed out to you. Become a supporter today to receive a shout-out on the podcast and other perks so I can keep making these for everyone. I'm having a great time doing this, and I would love to turn this into a full-time thing. So with all that being said... I hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving next week. And make sure to keep those doors and windows locked and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.